This is Voices from the Past, a mini-podcast from Plymouth Plantation. We're taking you behind the scenes as the staff, historians, curators, and artisans prepare for the reenactment of the 1623 wedding between William Bradford and Alice Southworth. Today we're interviewing Kayla McCumber, manager of the Historical Clothing and Textiles Department. Hi, Kayla. Hello. So what brought you to Plymouth Plantation and your current role as manager of Historical Clothing and Textiles? Well, I have a long history with historic costuming. Uh, I studied theatrical costuming in in, um, undergrad at Ithaca College, and I really loved uh, pretty much anything pre-19th century. So I interned at uh, Hampton Court Palace in Tower of London while I was studying abroad in their costumed historical interpretation areas, and I just absolutely fell in love with uh, sort of late medieval uh, Renaissance times. Um, so I then earned a master's from University in Glasgow in art history, focusing on displays of dress, uh, because I loved that research and construction, mm-hmm. both of um, costume history. So I ended up here. And can I ask you, when you say displays of dress, mm-hmm. is that using fashion as displays of power, influence, status? Uh, both. I was really looking at how dress was displayed in paintings, um, in images, how people um, also used those paintings to display their power, their alliances, their wealth, their use of resources. Uh, so it's a little bit of both. It's, it, it's a big power play and I love that. And paintings are one of the sources that you rely on very heavily here in the costume shop at Plymouth Plantation. Yeah, so it's really important to know, uh, to be able to analyze those paintings and really tell what is artist's imagination, what is uh, probable, um, what actually existed. There's a lot of things that are artist's imagination that we have to be able to sort through. And that's true with interpreting historical sources as well. We have to be able to parse through a source and say, where, where is the artist taking artistic liberty here? Or where is he expressing, he or she expressing his own opinion versus simply relaying fact? And being able to uh, understand the artist's intent is a huge part of understanding these primary sources, whether a painting or a primary document. Uh, And so as manager of historic clothing and textiles, you not only do the research, which you've just talked about, but you also do construction for the garments that Mm -hmm. are being worn by our role players out on the sites, correct? Correct, yeah. And um, do you have a favorite garment to make? Ooh, I... hmm. Ooh, that is really tough. it's, It's absolutely stereotypical, but I love making stays. It's... I love foundation garments, and that's such an important uh, garment, and it's it takes a lot of work, and they just look beautiful when they're finished. Stays are like a 17th century version of a corset, although without creating the hourglass figure, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so... Part of our season this year is staging the 1623 wedding of William Bradford to Alice Southworth. And we're going to be doing this reenactment on August 15th here at Plymouth Plantation in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Um, But tell us a little bit about about fashion trends and about wedding fashions. Uh, I think what people are expecting is going to be a little different from what we're going to see on the day. Can you tell us about that? 
Sure. Well, uh, we would definitely see some familiar accessories at the 17th uh, century wedding. Um, a lot of couples, for example, would have uh, would have given each other uh, gifts prior to the marriage, such as gloves, coins, and uh, little posy rings. And these are really popular lovers' gift at the time. There are thousands and thousands upon thousands of surviving examples. Uh, they're one of the most prolific uh, pieces of jewelry that we actually still have. Um, these are often inscribed with just a short little phrase such as my heart you have and other things uh, that you want to say to your lover. Um, wedding bands aren't, they, they were exchanged uh, definitely if the couple could afford jewelry um, if, and also if their religious beliefs allowed for it. Um, so William and Alice Bradford likely didn't exchange bands at the at their wedding due to their beliefs uh, as separatists. Um, First-time brides would often wear a small wreath, often made of flowers, over their hair that's down. Um, the there's brides in uh, Peter Bruegel, the elders' famous wedding scenes. They're immediately identifiable by their really long flowing hair that has a, a simple little wreath over it. Um, this is not Alice's first wedding though, so she will probably have her hair up. Would she wear a coif, the white caps that we see on our pilgrim women today? Yeah, um, she, she, we haven't decided exactly which one to give her yet, but we have a, a spiffied up coif for her to wear. And there are lots of embroidered coifs in not only in our collection here but in textile collections at other museums that show right. that people did pay attention to the details mm -hmm. in their clothes. And Definitely and, and um, embroidery was something that was um, easy for uh, women at different statuses to do. Um, it became a pretty pretty huge industry, um, but it stayed a, in the home as well. And a nice way to take a simple garment mm -hmm. like a coif and make it special for an occasion like a wedding, even if it is a yeah. second or for many women a third marriage, you still mm -hmm. take that time to put effort into that, that mm -hmm. garment to make it something special. Mm -hmm. Now today, of course, the fashion centerpiece of the wedding is the dress. Mm -hmm. um, what were the the trends in the 17th century about the actual dress that, that men and women were wearing? Mm -hmm. So uh, clothing for weddings is, is the main sort of departure. Um, the iconic white wedding dresses didn't really become popular until the 19th century. Um, Queen Victoria wore a huge, beautiful lace white gown and that it's, it's credited as being sort of the big shift into white. She, uh, was, the, she was the trendsetter. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in the 17th century, women would have likely chose their nicest gown, or if economically possible, um, a new gown that they like. It's, it's a reason to get a new gown made. Um, the trendsetters of the day were your classes with large amounts of expendable income. Uh, clothing was extremely expensive during this time. If you think about uh, the linen that the the flax that's being grown made into linen, the wool, um, those sheep have to be raised and cared for, 
and then it goes to spinners and weavers and your tailors and it, it just uh, ends up being extremely expensive. Uh, so those with these uh, expendable incomes were the ones who regularly could afford new clothes that fit new fashions. When the fashions mm -hmm. changed a little bit, they would adjust their new clothing to those styles. And there weren't really fashion designers like we have today. Um, the upper classes would employ extremely talented tailors with high quality textiles and just if somebody else had something they liked, then they would say, oh, I'd like it sort of, you know, like this. Like my neighbor who has this yeah. new cut of gown. I want that. And so that sort of uh, is, is how trends start going. Did trends come um, out of the court as well? Obviously a lot of dispensable income there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. That's, that's, and, and there's also so many different cultures. Um, sort of meeting up at court that you're saying, oh, that person just came in from Italy and I like that. I'm going to incorporate that into my next gown. Um, so that, that also brings that into it a little bit. So the community of people that we have here, mm -hmm. uh, even though William Bradford is the governor and Alice Southworth, the bride, will be essentially Plymouth's first lady, mm -hmm. uh, they are still what we might think of today as middle-class people. He is still a farmer. He still has agricultural responsibility. She is still managing this household on the frontier. So how do you work that historical reality of a rural farming community into this picture you have of this wedding? That's essentially a diplomatic event. It's a state wedding. Mm -hmm. um, so they, as long as, as, as well as anyone else getting married here, um, probably would have pulled out their nicest gown or suit. Uh, these are these are very clever people that have to um, come up with different things in order to really live. So I would imagine that they would have made their linens extra nice. You can bleach those very easily, setting them outside. Um, make any repairs, clean off your hats, your shoes. Um, so by the time they're here and getting ready for the wedding, they're well adjusted to not just going to the tailor, going to the shops to get something. They, I, I think they would have been um, ready to go and make do with what's available to them here. And Alice Southworth is coming to Plymouth on the Anne in 1623, we think, either the Anne or the Little James. So she's coming with the intention to marry William Bradford. She may have brought some things with her from London. She may have, absolutely. Things um, from her family, mm -hmm. um, absolutely, yeah. And in terms of gifts, I know today the gift registry is another key part. Were textiles included in as gifts? Um, often in uh, lover's gifts, things like that, um, there's examples of gloves being exchanged, silk garters, um, things like that. Little tokens that, you know, say, oh, remember me, and, and things like that, yeah. So do any, I'm curious, do any 17th century wedding dresses still exist? Have you been looking at them to get a sense of what fashions could look like as we prepare to, to dress these, this couple? That's, that's really the tough part. Um, not many 17th century gowns or suits remain at all, as the fabric was f just far too useful, too expensive. Um, so gowns were um, 
basically altered into new fashions until they fell apart. Uh, you'd give it to your daughter, you'd give it to your cousin, your niece, and they would change it. Um, so not, not many really survived, so that makes it really tough to tell. And because uh, wedding gowns weren't that single-use uh, garment that we have today, something that survives could have absolutely been used in a wedding, but since there's no... Um, but if there's no exact provenance on the piece, then we can't know for sure that, hey, maybe it was. We don't know. But as you say, because these garments were being repurposed, retailored, mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of evidence in some garments that they shift over um, maybe two or three major fashion trends. We can't mm -hmm. ever know for sure if it was made for a wedding uh, for comp for sort of mid-level people because their clothes are being reused. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's um, we would we would need a source absolutely connected to the garment. Um, that it's it's really we just don't know about them really. And it's important that as if as we're fashioning these people that we make sure that every garment that they're wearing is is credibly is being credibly used and is being researched. Right, right. And so the gowns that they have um, and the suits are, you know, they are um, pieces that easily could have, that easily could be something that is worn to church or another event, something like that. It's not an extravagant piece like we see today. Something you might just sit, have in your wardrobe for a special occasion. Right, it's that back of the closet sort of dress. So tell me a little bit about your plans for dressing uh, the bride and groom on the day of our recreation of the 1623 Bradford wedding. Sure. Uh, so we have a collection of garments uh, that we only pull out for special events like this. Uh, these are the so-called back-of-the-closet gowns and suits. Um, that They're not going to be worn on an average day, so we just keep them here to keep them away from the elements, make sure that they're safe and last a really long time. Um, they, they are, are pretty much, um, fit and assigned to whoever is playing someone on, um, one of these special event days. Um, so we've had Allison for fitting. Um, it, it really suits her economic station in history. There's, it's, it's a really nice color with just a little bit of trim. Um, and for Bradford, we have another suit. It's a, uh, very smart black wool with just a little bit of yellow trim. Um, nothing too gaudy for the, no. for the austere Mr. Bradford. Yeah, there's nothing gaudy. It's just very classy, to use a very <laughs> contemporary term, uh, for now. It's, it's just classy. It's simple. Um, the fabric is really nice. It's black, and that's a really hard uh, color to achieve at the time. Um, How would they have gotten black dyes? Do you know? Um, you can get really, really dark colors um, from black walnut. You can get really dark. Um, it's basically getting um, natural dyes that are that are dark enough. The problem is they fade really fast, mm -hmm. um, but luckily wool holds dyes pretty well. It's linen does not, so wool is the easy, easier color to dye. That's probably why we see, and it's probably why we see a lot of portraits with uh, 
established men wearing black suits. Not right. because the Puritans or the Separatists wore black all the time, but because that was the best suit that you had, saving it for special occasions like a wedding or a portrait sitting. Sure, it's the exact same thing how you wear a black tuxedo today. It's just because that's your nice suit. And as we've talked about a little bit already, uh, this wedding is very unique. There are lots of weddings that happen in Plymouth. Uh, Plymouth Plantation routinely does the, um, the Warren wedding. Um, we routinely do the um, Experience Mitchell Jane Cook wedding. Um, we've done other weddings in the past, but the Bradford wedding is unique, and that's because it's a diplomatic event. It's a state wedding. So... How does this impact the way you're thinking about costuming the event? What choices are you going to make to reflect the importance of this event, but also the reality of their living here in a, in a new colony on the edge of the wilderness? Sure. Uh, so um, weddings had long, long been um, extravagant events for the upper classes, nobility, um, etc., um, that were used as opportunities to show their use of resources, their wealth, their connections to others. Um, so you could have servants wearing your livery. Um, people displaying their allegiance to you. Um, so I think the, um, with the Bradfords, we know from Emmanuel Altham's letters that uh, Mazasoy was given items like a hat and a coat. And these are similar items that you would see given as diplomatic gifts in Europe at the time. Um, objects that are very identifiable to a certain group of people. So when that person goes off and wears it in front of others, they show that allegiance, that connection to that person. Um, so I think that just, um, we have those ready to go um, for the day of. The, the coat and the hat and everything so that we can show that connection and that'll be uh, visible to guests and everyone here. So evidence that there is there is a relationship, it's a, a relatively stable relationship in this early part of the colony and they we are underscoring this diplomatic event um, between the English at Plymouth and the Wampanoag from Patuxet, mm -hmm. uh, using textiles as gifts, um, but as well as using the textiles that you've talked about to sort of to celebrate this event. It is also a family event. It's a creation of a blended family, uh, and so textiles really take get to take center stage. Yeah, it's an exciting, exciting time for sure. So if you were going to come to the Bradford wedding as a guest, um, maybe pick your smartest summer ensemble. Something fun and comfortable for being in the museum, but maybe something a little special to yeah, celebrate the bride. they're going to wear wool, but I would suggest not wearing wool. Maybe cotton or something yeah. a little more comfortable for our modern visitors. Absolutely. Yeah. So my last question is for you, favorite part of a wedding, 17th century or 21st? Um, I think it's all centuries. Uh, I gotta say the meal, the dinner, because it can make or break everything. If your guests are happy and fed, then they're gonna have a great time, but if you get airline food, essentially, <laughs> they're not gonna be too happy. Not gonna have a lot of fun. No. no. Well, thank you, Kayla, again, 
for um, participating in our podcast. This is Voices from the Past, a mini podcast from Plymouth Plantation. We hope to see you visiting us Saturday, August 15th for the recreation of the 1623 Bradford Wedding.